Welcome to Kansas City Confidential, a podcast where we hear from the people behind Kansas City's local restaurants, businesses, and personalities. I'm your host, Sari, and this week I'm joined by author John Arlen. His book, Mountain Lines, A Journey Through the French Alps, follows his solo, month-long, 400-mile walk from Lake Geneva to Nice. John's book is a New York Times best summer travel book recommendation. Here is John to talk about the motivation behind the book and what he's currently working on. Casey Confidential. Casey's Confidential. I'm really excited to have you on because not only have I read your book, I love your book, I've actually gifted it to a lot of people it's like a it's something that for a lot of people I know I think it's been a good gift and I just I enjoyed reading it but also from the personal aspect with I've known you my whole life you being one of my brother's closest friends and we grew up neighbors obviously so I am excited just to talk to you not only about life in Kansas City but just about your professional career kind of just thrilled Sari I'm thrilled (laughs) honestly Just to kind of start the introduction just to your career as a writer, if you could start that off and just sort of explain the journey of your of your career. I would say first and foremost, I'm a writer and I'm the author of the book Mountain Lines, which you've uh, mentioned. I've been in the book publishing world for almost 10 years, if not 10 years at this point. Uh, first as an editor, really as like a junior, junior, junior editor, and then working my way up uh, to editor. And collaborating with a bunch of different authors on their own books, really too too many to count at this point. Um, and then most recently, collaborating with people on uh, writing books, which is something I, I never did before. I was much more in the editorial side of things. So like once a book was really almost done um, and going through the editorial process. But um, more recently, I've gotten into sort of starting at the very beginning of it and helping people see their books uh, to completion. So yeah, basic a basic book book person. I've worked at a bookstore and yeah, been around books for a long time now. Was writing something you always saw yourself doing? Because you and your whole family are of the creative mind. You also are a musician. I grew up watching you and my brother playing a band together. That's a lot of my memory with you and being in your house with your family was an your brother's an artist and a tattoo artist. And so you come from a family of very creative minds. So is writing sort of always the path you thought you would be on? Yeah, I think in like a very, very vague way, I thought it would be cool to be a writer in that like everything but the writing part would be cool. Like being a writer would be cool. I don't know. I Like doing the actual writing never factored into it because I just wasn't very good at it. I found it super hard, just like really tedious. Anything I had to write, in high school was just the worst, the worst assignment. I didn't like doing it at all. But I I liked reading. I got into reading pretty late, like in high school, and more into reading in college. And I got a degree in English with a concentration in writing. So I think at the back of my head, I sort of knew that on some level, I would be working with words. But I don't know if I really dreamed of like being a real writer. I think it's, it always seemed like that would be way too much work. And I'm a lazy, lazy person. (laughs) (laughs) With your book, you know, Mountain Lines, A Journey Through the French Alps, 
For those who haven't read your book and aren't familiar, kind of explain what the book is about and then how the idea to write about your experience came about. Yeah, the book is an account of a long walk that I did through the French Alps. Um, It took about a month starting at Lake uh, Geneva in Switzerland and then basically walking straight south to the Mediterranean 400 miles or so. It came about really more than anything through a love of the genre of travel writing, which I had been into for a long, long time at that point. I was sort of thinking of what travel stories I might be able to write. And I hit upon this idea of doing a long walk. And I don't know, it just seemed like really perfect. Every once in a while, you get an idea that just won't leave you alone. And as I said, I'm a lazy person. And so often that they do leave me alone and I don't come back to them. But for whatever reason, this one's stuck. Yeah, I couldn't really get it out of my head. And eventually I thought if I tried this and it works, it probably won't be the worst travel book ever written. Uh, and that's a good enough place to be for me. So I just sort of literally and metaphorically went one step at a time and tried to to get to the end of it. And eventually I I did manage to to not only do complete the walk, but than to complete the book almost right after I sort of started writing it. Uh, But the idea had been kicking around for a little while. I would say maybe like six months or so before I did that that hike. I had an idea to to write a book. I mean, it's part of a, a much longer story about the really, really, really cliche thing of quitting your job and uh, traveling. <laughs> and uh, so it it came out of that. It came out of a, a year of basically nonstop travel and trying to think of a good story I could I could tell from that year. To the recounting of your hike, one of the things for me that as a reader, I got out of your book, I am not like an avid hiker. I'm not someone who goes on these really big hikes, but for you went on this hike without having trained. And it's not only about your physical walk through through the Alps, but it's about a lot of your mental state and like pushing through it and so with that too like how did you decide like this was the hike you were going to do I think it's uh the 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 hike itself I just sort of found doing some random googling looking for like walks I could do in about a month that wouldn't absolutely kill me and that was based on almost no knowledge whatsoever of how difficult long distance walks are so like I thought it would be much easier than it was and it was actually super super hard and it it kind of wrecked me. But yeah, I think there there is always a meditative component to a long walk. Just from reading other people's stories and other books that are similar, that that was sort of always going to be part of it. And you almost can't help it. You If you do nothing but walk for 30 days, you will go deep inside your brain. And, um, you know, you sort of reach a flow or uh, there's so many different words for for that state but it's an undeniable thing I think you you can't really help but get there and uh writing is really really similar actually if you're deep in a project and I think a lot of create creative projects are the same the sort of the deeper you go the more the world closes itself off and you're just sort of like in that really really hyper focused state all of those were things that I was aware of as it was happening through the walk and through the writing. Yeah, so they were always going to be part of the part of the book, uh, along with the physical stuff, which is inevitable also. After I read the book, I had 
called my brother and was telling him that I'd finished it. And him and I agreed one of our favorite parts about the book, also knowing you, and I'm not sure exactly where on the hike you were, but you, I think you were eating lamb yeah. and you're like looking out the window, looking at them yeah. in, in the grass yeah. and you're eating it at the same time. And just personally knowing you, but that added humor into the book while you're talking about like this physical and mental challenge you're pushing yourself towards. I just also really appreciated. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's always part of it. And I think it's one of the things I really like most about, about traveling is I think it's a funny thing to do. I mean, we take it, you know, it didn't really exist 150 years ago. You couldn't just take yourself to another part of the planet in a day. And if you think about it, it's it's a, it's a kind of an absurd exercise. Like you go to, I don't know, you go to Japan and you're just in Japan and you don't know anything about it. And it's all weird and different. And the food is completely different. And to me, that's super funny. Like that is when I talk about the travels that I've done and the the things that I remember, it's really to me like the 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 funny parts. And so yeah, I think that that was always again gonna be part of the book, sort of. And and I'm I'm happy to be the the butt of the joke most of the time. Um, that's sort of the way it worked out. But in that instance, yeah, we were just being fed meat from the animal that we were watching. They were ju- I remember super clearly too. They were they were just mm-hmm. sheep jumping across a little canal. I think sheep are kind of stupid. I don't know that much about them, but they certainly looked stupid. And they were just jumping one after another. And I remember one jumped and kind of fell in, didn't make it all the way. But yeah, then we we, we were served a big uh, plate of uh, lamb. I don't know. I'm skeptical of stories like that that take themselves a little too seriously. So I was conscious of that as I was writing. Like, I don't want to come off as... Um, some sort of like Zen walking master, which I'm just not at all like a hiking guru of of some kind. Yeah, you make mistakes and you sort of have to own those mistakes. With your book, it was recognized by New York Times Best Summer Travel book recommendation. So when that came out and to be recognized by the New York Times, what were your reactions to that? It was great. It's I just was the farthest thing from my mind when I was writing it, when I got through the production process and publication, I think it had been out for a month or so. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I was not involved in a huge degree with the publicity or marketing or anything like that. And my goals for the book were really humble. I just hoped my mom would like it. I hoped my dad would read it. And that was kind of it. I I liked it a lot. I mean, by the time I was done with it, I was sort of sick of it. But as I was writing it, I liked it a lot. But yeah, you get an extra little bit of uh, validation when it somehow ends up in the New York Times. I mean, I, I wish I knew how it happened. I really don't. Somebody read it and liked it and put it in there. Um, but yeah, it was a great, great, great day. <laughs> Where were you when you got that news? A friend of mine had sent me a message early in the morning. I guess he assumed I had I I already knew about it because I didn't know what he was talking about. And then I was just like, I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, Oh, your book's recommended in the Sunday Times in the travel section, like yeah, the travel section or the book section as a uh, travel book recommendation for the summer. I'm sure I looked it up online and tried to see if it was really my book or you know not a mistake, someone else's book, or like you know, not a terrible review. That's the other scary thing that happens when you publish a book is you wait for reviews to come in. And it's a it's a double edged sword because you want reviews like reviews are good. But bad reviews are really bad. They're just so painful. 
as good as a good review feels, a bad review feels, I don't know, a hundred times worse. Yeah, I think I, my hands were probably shaking and I looked and it was there. And I mean, I just couldn't believe it. it it's really still one of the most bizarre things that's happened in this process. Just, there's no accounting for it. So many books are published each year and so many of them are are good, really, really good books. As a debut author, kind of out of nowhere, I think I just got really, really lucky and the right person read it and liked it. It's not It's not to say that it's that I don't think it's a good book because I, I I like it, but you know a, a lot of books are good books. So and they don't all get written about in the New York Times. But I mean I've got it framed and I'll sign a copy for for you if you want. Yeah. After you know this book came out, now in your career you've sort of pivoted and you are more stepping into role of a ghost writer. So yeah. I know you can't share too much about it, but can you explain what a ghost writer is and a little bit of the process of what you have to do? I kind of like to think of it as just a collaborative partner in in a book. I mean, writing a book is is a it's difficult, it's time consuming. I suppose it's a skill that you can hone like any other skill. So the more you do it, sort of the better you get at it. I think with writing, you get better at knowing that everything's going to be okay and that it's not terrible <laughs> because there's so much. There's just constant doubt in the writing process that everything you're writing is bad. And actually you're looking at the page and it is bad. Like it's legitimately bad. You just have to sort of trust that if you keep pounding away at it, eventually you'll, you know, crack on something that, that you like, and it'll, that'll open a window to something else. And um, I think the more you do it, the, the, the more comfortable you get in that process. So in that way, helping other people write books is sort of being the person to be like, you know, you you tell me the story and I will lay it out for you. I'll tell you where we need more material in this chapter or, you know, there's a part of a narrative that's unclear. We should go back to it. So it's a lot of that. And, and it's also a sort of a creative thing where you get to you get to listen to people talk. I mean, not not unlike what we're doing right now, just doing interviews getting a sense of their voice and their experience and their story and how you can tie it all together in a sort of compelling book. You know, a lot of books are, I don't want to say they're formulaic, but there's a, the wheel doesn't need to be invented every time somebody writes a book. Like books are often like that thick and they have chapters and chapters have beginnings and ends. And so you sort of, the, the more you do it, the more you figure out like, what has to go in those places and listening to somebody tell their story, you're sort of thinking like, okay, that's, that's a good chapter and like beginning right there, that sentence, like that'll work. I'll make a note of that. And, and you just sort of go through whatever the story is. If it's a, a memoir of somebody's life or um, if it's a more practical, like a how-to book or something like that. Yeah. You just sort of collect as much material as you can and then try to weave it together in a book package that's recognizable to consumers as a book. I mean, that's basically the the goal to make something that people will want to read and, uh, and, and make something that's compelling from the beginning to the end. That's always the tricky part. Why they say the first 50 pages, if you're captivated, then you should keep going. But after the first 50 pages, if you don't feel like you're connecting to the book, you're probably not going to like the rest of the book. For sure. For sure. And, and, you know, there's so many readers out there and different books will appeal to different people. 
it's difficult to think about it like that. The, I think the best you can do is think about it like what's the best version of the story I can I can put together. And um, you get that from talking to people and really trying to get a sense of what they want readers to walk away with. And yeah, so there's there's a lot of really fun aspects of of helping people write books. I'm trying to avoid using the word ghostwriter because I, I don't know if it has like weird connotations for people. I would I, I'm going to come up with a better word for it. I don't know what it is. It's a collaborator. <laughs> because in a sense, like I, I think when you say ghostwriter, it sort of takes the credit away from the subject of the book. And I mean, it is their story and it is their words as, as much as possible. I think I have a, a high degree of patience for what I call like puzzle piecing. And I think writing is a ton of puzzle piecing. It's like you got a sentence here. You don't know where it belongs and you're just moving it around until you find the right place. And when you find the right place, something happens. It absolutely like clicks and it's perfect. And you're like, that's great. That paragraph is done. Yeah. So that's a tedious, I recognize that's a tedious process probably for a lot of people, uh, but it's something I enjoy doing a lot. Something I didn't know I liked doing until I wrote my book. And as a writer, your knowledge of punctuation is probably much better than the general population as my boyfriend went to journalism school and openly admit that he proofreads every <laughs> Instagram caption that I post, which I still make mistakes because my grammar yeah. is terrible. And he proofreads the descriptions I write for the podcast. And it's watching him proofread them is humorous for me because <laughs> he probably sits there and is like, oh my gosh, this is, this sentence is such garbage. And he'll just be like, he'll delete it and look at me and say, okay, what's, what do you want to say? What's the point you're trying to get across? And I'll say it. And he's like, so just type just that. Do like, that. Why yeah, do you, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a run on sentence. You're like not saying anything concise. Yeah. So, but as from my uh, it's perspective, a great trick. It's, it's a great so, trick though. It's so fun watching him do it cuz like I get to laugh at myself cuz I don't take myself too seriously, but of, with his knowledge I'm like it, it's the perfect duo. It's like yeah. the yeah. creative and the and the tactical together. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm okay. I I sort of had to teach myself a lot of that like grammar and punctuation, which what I one thing I did figure out when I was writing my book is that the rhythm of a sentence or the rhythm of the writing and the sound of the writing can be more important than punctuation. So I, I don't get super um, strict about grammar punctuation unless I, you know, unless somebody asks me to, unless I have to, but I will defer to the, to the sound of a, of a sentence. I think it's, it's sort of more important unless it's just unreadable and um, the grammar, the punctuation makes no sense. Yeah. Rules, <laughs> rules can be broken, I think. As a writer, I'm sure you face writer's block or as you said, maybe being coming to those times where you're kind of at a standstill. So what do you do to help yourself get over that point? Writer's block has not been a huge problem. The biggest problem I have is a in in really any writing, I mean, this is going to sound repetitive because I already mentioned it, is just really thinking it's bad. I mean, I, I and I think a lot of writers have that feeling like you have a great idea, you go to type it out. And it just is terrible. And you're like, what happened? It was so good two seconds ago before I typed it. And then you have to, I don't know, you have to figure out how to navigate like that that doubt, which is really tough. And I think in the beginning, it hung me up a lot. And I would just think, God, like, ugh, as everything is, <laughs> everything I've written is bad in this whole book. Before anyone read the book that, that I that I wrote, 
I mean, there were a bunch of times where I was like, no, this is garbage. Like, this is just absolute garbage. And actually, I wrote up, I don't know, half a draft that really was garbage. And I just threw it away. And I don't think anyone ever saw it. So yeah, writer's block is not a huge problem. But but that doubt, what you're doing isn't good is a huge problem. And I, I think that in any creative project, and I say this to Katya, my wife all the time, that's part of it. And I, I actually have grown to think it's the fun part. Like, if you can get past hating your work and get to the part where you're like doing the problem solving of figuring out like how to make it better, that really becomes the fun part. And it becomes the the most rewarding part because you get that feeling of like something really clicking that wasn't clicking before. And to use that puzzle metaphor that I was using earlier, you know, it's like jamming a puzzle piece into a, a spot that doesn't fit. And then you finally get it to fit. And it's like you see the picture, everything, everything works better. And then it's just a question of doing it like a million times over and over and over again. That's probably my, my biggest struggle that in just, um, it's laziness, but it's, it's a different kind of laziness. It's like, um, getting the momentum to keep working on something. Like if I step away from a project for a week, it is hard to get back into it. But then once I get into it, I'm I can focus and, you know, get, get lost in it. And I like that. I like that part of it. I like that feeling, but it's an, it's an inner conflict (laughs) that I'm always dealing with. (laughs) Even though I'm not writing, what you're saying is really resonating with me just in terms of the podcast. Cause I have, you know, I've had to go through a lot of learning curves and jump through hoops and like, I love, I love doing this, but yeah, there are times where I'm like, Oh, I need to sit down and edit. And I, like put it off, put it off. But when I do it, I get in the zone and I love editing because right. I have fun listening back to the conversations and, you know, obviously they're edited, but there are things that, you know, I listen back and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember now the person said that or whatever. And so. Is um, it a fear? Is it a fear that like, um, when you listen back, it won't be as good as you remember? Cause that's my problem. Yes. So I think a lot of times I, and with the self-doubt too, I mean, just doing this whole thing. I mean, I had to really like what I did so much research and yada, yada, but I will leave a zoom call and, you know, Dan will ask me how to go. And I'm like, I think it went really well. I think the person was really responsive. They felt comfortable. And then when I start to internalize and I have a really bad habit of overthinking things, internalizing things. And I, I have a lot of self-doubt as well. And, and I'm like afraid to edit one. No one likes the sound of their own voice, which after nearly a year of doing this, I've just had to like rip the bandaid off and get over. But there's another sense of, is this episode going to be a good, successful episode that people will enjoy listening. And then I'll go through my moments of, I don't know, oh my gosh, is it worth like re-recording? But that's more time from the person that I interviewed. And then it goes back to, I don't ever want to take this podcast too seriously. Of course, I want to be a good interviewer and podcast host. But at the same time, the point of this podcast is just for people to get to know local Kansas City people on a deeper level. And so I have to remind myself, once I start getting too serious, and I do too much research, and I'm in my head too much, it stops Mm. being fun. And I have so much fun doing this. So it's a hard balance that I am going through like every single day right now. For sure. I think it's like any pro any solo creative project. I think you you deal with those things. Cause you're you're your only 
real judge for a long time. You're the only person who's who even knows what what the work is. And so it's really hard to be objective. And it's I think there's an there's a there's an inclination to like to be more objective than you have to be. Like if it's fun, then it will translate. I think so that's basically the idea. Like if you have fun doing it, people will probably have fun listening. And if I'm having fun writing, I hope people are having fun reading. And so, yeah, that, that is definitely a balancing act that I think a lot of people are doing in, in any kind of creative work. When you are able to kind of put writing down and take a break, what does life look like for you? Wow, what a great question. First of all, I put it down all the time. <laughs> I'm always happy to take a break. Yeah, what does it look like? You know, we're newly back in Kansas City. After uh, three years, I guess, we were, I was away. And my, my wife had obviously never lived here. We're back in Kansas City. We are sort of exploring the city like tourists a little bit. I mean, I, I, I had to relearn Kansas City completely when I moved back here the first time, just because I didn't really know it. I grew up in Leewood and like Kansas City, Kansas City was a mystery to me. I didn't know anything. These days, there's a little bit of travel, but not as much as before. There's a lot of reading. That's a tough question to answer because I think all my answers just sound so boring. <laughs> I, you know, I'm always playing music. Same old stuff. I'm going to keep thinking about that one. So there's something more interesting there. I'm just not sure what it is. <laughs> having lived all over the world, the list goes on, you've lived all over the world. But having come back here, especially post-pandemic, what are some things about Kansas City maybe you see now that you appreciate that growing up, you know, Kansas City's changed so much from when you and I were growing up, but what are some things that maybe you appreciate now or like about the city now that you didn't when you were growing up? Man, that could be a whole book, Sari. It's funny, Kansas City, it doesn't really come into the book very much, but it's a huge part of the book's overall story. One of the I don't know. One of the dreams I've I've had is that somebody will ask me a bunch of questions about how Kansas City and and my book are tied together. And you didn't ask me directly, but I'm going to answer my own my own question. They're they're hugely connected because I really didn't write the book until I came back here, and I I couldn't I couldn't do it. I after I finished that hike, I went to I did what I thought would be a really cool thing for a writer to do. I mean, I had not written a word of that book yet or any book or anything. I just didn't written anything, but I, I knew I was going to write the book. And so I just had to like become a writer who writes books. And I went, uh, I took like a kind of a crazy journey and I ended up staying in Serbia for like half a year. And the idea was that I was going to go to Serbia and write the book. Serbia, I'd been before and I liked it a lot. And it's a relatively inexpensive country. And it's beautiful and it's old and there's a lot of charm. It's a, it's a really cool place, Belgrade. And I, I really loved it a lot. I just do, couldn't get any work done. Like I just didn't do anything. I tried, sat at my computer for five minutes and then I was like, nah, this isn't fun. Or I would write. I mean, that's where I wrote a really bad draft. It just didn't make any sense. Uh, and then a bunch of things happened and I ended up deciding that Kansas City would be a good place to go. And I, I until it occurred to me, I mean, it had never occurred to me to move back to Kansas City. I had gone to school in New Orleans. I moved to Japan. I lived in Japan for a few years. I lived in New York. Kansas City was not on the list of places. But for whatever reason, yeah, it was calling my name. And I think part of that was being closer to my parents for a while. And um, my brother had moved back here. So yeah, being closer to him and my sister. And so I came back here and almost immediately the book just started working a little bit better. I got into a, a routine. 
up at the roastery who I have to give them a, a shout in that era, 2016, 2017, the baristas there were amazing. Um, I don't know. They're good now, but I just don't know them. So yeah, to me, Kansas City has become a place where I can get into a routine and I just know, I, I know it here. And so my brain is not occupied with trying to understand things the way that they, the way that it is when I'm traveling, like even if you're not actively doing it, your your sort of your brain is working. Yeah, it's a long answer to your question about Kansas City. I, I just discovered in Kansas City a place that's really, really conducive to a super deep focus and yeah, quiet work. <laughs> just what writing a book is is basically all about. You are the only person and you're not talking to anybody. It's just really quiet. And it requires like a lot of time. It requires a lot of time to think about things too. It's not just sitting at the computer, which I mean, it is a lot of that. But at least when I was writing that book, my brain was sort of never really off. It was always thinking about just different things. And I think that's a good thing. You get really deep into a project and you want your brain sort of working constantly like that. Um, and yeah, so for whatever reason, Kansas City turned out to be a great place to do it. And since then, I've traveled a lot more and I've lived in a few different places. And it's still, I still get that feeling when I come back here that something about a Kansas City, I don't know, it's so quiet. It's so predictable in a good way. These are the things that I would have said I hated when I was a teenager. Um, I'm bringing it back around to your question. The things that I, that I would have said I did not like that I now like are that it's quiet and clean and predictable and kind of beautiful. I mean, the parks are beautiful. The, the woods behind our house that I just never paid attention to growing up. I just could not have cared less. Now I think, wow, it's really green here. <laughs> I don't have to go somewhere really far away when it's right down the street. And in addition to that, the city has changed so much and there's a restaurant scene and a music scene. And I mean, that stuff existed. I just wasn't, I wasn't aware of it when I was a teenager, I guess. So yeah, seeing places like the Crossroads and the River Market and um, all these different neighborhoods sort of come alive. It's been it's been really cool. I've been lucky to see it over the last like six years or so um, change, change a lot. Where are some of your and Katya's favorite places to go in Kansas City? The places I like to go are sort of the cl sort of classic Kansas City places. Like I still love the plaza. I think it's beautiful. You know, I don't care about really going in any of the stores there just because I don't do a lot of shopping. But I just think it's a beautiful area and it's so unique. I mean, there's not a lot of cities that have a small pocket of their midtown that's just like a weird Spanish <laughs> like architecture. It doesn't make that much sense. Let's see. the my, my brother lives down in the crossroads and uh, works at a tattoo shop down there. I'll, I'll plug his tattoo shop, Gold Cathedral. It's a great, great place. Uh, he's a great tattoo artist. If you're looking for a tattoo artist, BB's Lawnside Barbecue. That's an old classic uh, spot that I used to go to when I was a teenager with my with my dad and listen to live uh, blues music. And that place is still around and it's still great. The food is great. The music is awesome. Uh, Kaufman Center I went to recently. It's like unbelievably beautiful. Went to a symphony there. It was amazing. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about the roastery cafe in Leewood. It's just, I just spent so many hours there working on that book. And even after I was done writing, I was just working out of that cafe every morning for five hours or something. I would say my absolute number one favorite spot in Kansas City. And I will tell anyone 
to come from out of state to go there is Betty Ray's. I think it's the best ice cream. It's maybe the best ice cream I've ever had. Like, I think it's that good. I'm always um, looking for your recommendations, though, Siri. I will say that. Uh, it's sort of a running, I can't even call it a joke. It's just a running conversation in my family. Like, what does Siri have to say about this place? <laughs> I do always appreciate it. It hasn't happened in a while, but I feel like in the beginning, your mom would message me. Hey, have you heard of this place? Or hey, yeah, have, yeah. have you posted about this place yet? Like, should we go? So it's it's always fun. I mean, I really enjoy like being able to give people recommendations mostly because similar to you that when I mean obviously I haven't lived all over the world but like when I moved back after college I did not see myself in Kansas City and when I moved back I was like I I know this city there's such a narrow scope and so I basically pretended to be a tourist and like read taught myself the entire city And sometimes I still feel like that. I mean, I obviously have a lot of Kansas City pride, but I do all these things and I'm like, want to know so I can tell other people like this is what you should be doing. Um, Not that my word is like the end all be all, but at the same time, it's fun just to be able to talk to people about like what's going on or the new restaurants opening or new whatever. So it's always fun. Yeah. And it's cool because they're really, it seems like there really are great things happening. Like there's great restaurants. Kansas City is a cool, it's a cool medium-sized city i mean it's not it's not new york but one thing that i love about it after living in new york is like that it just is absolutely not new york like it's convenient things are really relatively easy to do and like there's no traffic to speak of and those are huge pluses to me at this point Being able to look at Kansas City through your eyes and again having the experience of living in all different kinds of cities around the world, if you could change anything about Kansas City, what would that be? That is another really good question. I would say what I what I find myself noticing the most about Kansas City that I wish were different was more people. I wish there were more people. Oftentimes you're walking down a street or a sidewalk or something and you're just the only person out walking and that's still weird to me that's still weird after after having lived in some more walkable cities not necessarily big cities but just like more pedestrian friendly cities Kansas City's not yeah more people so maybe we can get more people to move here although not too many because then you start to have those other problems like too many people in traffic and the airports get crazy but just the right amount of more people. <laughs> I've turned into a guy who will defend Kansas City with my last breath. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but yeah, if I have to, I'll put a I'll put a Chiefs hat on and I will talk about how great Kansas City is. <laughs> As you mentioned, you like to read. What kind of books do you like to read and what recommendations would you maybe give listeners of anything you've read recently that you really enjoyed? Oh man, so many things. I read a t- I used to read a ton of travel writing and I still I still think it's my favorite genre of book. I think if if you don't know about it, go to the travel writing section of any bookstore, pick out a book that looks cool that's about a place you want to go to and I I guarantee you there will be something in there that's great. That's great reading. I mean there's just so many good travel stories, you know, over the last, I don't know, forever, 8,000 years, the oldest story I think in, in, in the world is a, a journey story. I'm looking, I'm literally looking at my bookshelf. So I've recently read a great book that is 
a conversation between Haruki Murakami, the novelist, and Seiji Ozawa, who's a conductor. He was the conductor of the Boston Boston Philharmonic, Boston Symphony. I'm, I'm going to get that wrong, but uh, for a really long time. And that was sort of a fascinating conversation about music. I read a lot of books about music, music like classical music and jazz. There's some great books in, in that. Uh, True Crime, I read a great book that won a bunch of awards a couple of years ago called Say Nothing about Northern Ireland. I don't love everything I read, but I try not to waste too much time reading stuff I don't like. So it's an ongoing process. So I know yeah, you can't really give a lot of detail on what you're working on right now, but is there anything else you are working on that maybe you would want anyone listening to podcasts to know about or to kind of keep an eye out for? I would say to all your listeners, please go buy my book, read it, leave a good review somewhere. Amazon, Goodreads, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to mention this. If I'm ever talking about my book, it is by far the most rewarding part of the whole process is hearing from strangers who I don't know how they find it, but they find it somehow. They like it and they take the time to write an email or write a review. Any listener who has not read your book definitely needs to go they purchase to. it. And to. if they live in Kansas City, maybe you will sign an autograph or two for them as I'll well. I'll do house but... calls. I'll do house calls, Sari. I loved your book. Thank you so much. Thank you. It means a lot. You can purchase John's book from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I will leave the direct links in the show notes. Please leave Mountain Lines a review on Goodreads. And while you're at it, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. As John mentioned, there is nothing better than seeing a good review, and it really helps. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Casey's Confidential. Casey's Confidential. Yay. Kansas City's best. Casey Confidential. Casey's Confidential.